you got some resources for us. I do. I brought a resource. Um, so this is one that on okay. So on Wednesday morning, I've been going through the Book of John with a group of guys uh, over breakfast, and um, as we've kind of gone through, and you guys, like, if, who's involved in BCM here? Raise your hand. Couple, couple of you guys. Awesome. If you're not, you should come and check it out because BCM is taking the year to go through the Gospel of John, and so kind of all around John right now. And so I brought a uh, commentary that I have enjoyed thoroughly um, as I've studied John in the past and then kind of continue to do so now. Um, it is called The Gospel According to John by a man named D.A. Carson, uh, and it is wonderful. Uh, this was my text for um, an exegesis course uh, through John um, in seminary, and so we this was like we worked all the way through this guy right here, and it was Awesome. So, I'm going to recommend that. D.A. Carson, The Gospel According to John. Great commentary. Very good. That's a part of a a bigger commentary set called the Pillar New Testament Commentary. Mm -hmm. Those things are all good. So, it's a very, very good and respected commentary set. So, I want to recommend um, a person and a specific uh, uh, title by this person. So, uh, we talk, you'll find if you look at the list and hang out over the course of a year that we kind of we kind of come around a lot of the same guys uh, that have been influential in our lives but um, Pastor California John MacArthur who's been at Grace Community Church for uh, many many years is a phenomenal author we were talking last night it's written over 60 something no how, how many Seven. 14 dozen books. 14 dozen books. <laughs> that's a lot um, anyway he recently over the last year has released a uh, a systematic theology book called Biblical Doctrine, a systematic summary of Bible truth. Um, and it is wonderful. Again, both the resources we pointed to tonight are not going to be books that you grab and read from beginning to end necessarily. You might. Um, you probably won't do that. But they're going to serve you as tools <clears throat> to uh, to keep on your shelf, to keep in, 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 in grasp, sleep uh, over the course of your life. So, I would point you to, to again, all the MacArthur's written, but specifically the systematic theology. A lot of you guys, have, uh, not only just university, but you know, questions about life and uh, doctrine and that sort of thing, uh, really, really helpful resource for the church. So, that's what we got. Yep. Sounds good. All right, so let's go to Acts chapter 14. Um, last week, let's talk a little bit about what we saw kind of where we are in the story of Acts. You got some notes? I do, yeah. I was just looking back at the main idea from last week uh, that we kind of reviewed from the book. We're in week two of the new semester, and so um, this might be the first time that some of you guys have been here with us. So uh, you're kind of jumping in midstream, but we went ahead and reviewed uh, the main idea of the book of Acts as a whole, and then we uh, you know, kind of talked through a main idea from uh, verses 13 through 52 of Acts chapter 13. Um, and so well, I'll just, how about I just share those? Is that cool? Um, so we talked about the main idea of the book being, uh, being this, that the, that the acts of the word by the spirit for the spread of the gospel and the start of the church, right? This is what we're seeing um, you know, play itself out, unfold uh, through our time in the book of Acts. And so what did we see last week from chapter 13? Well, we saw the spirit-given joy that empowers speech for God's people and continued commitment to mission. All right, we saw that we see joy in the midst of um, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of trial, in the midst of hardship, 
that gives way to a uh, that gives way to a, a continued joyous uh, proclamation of God's word as the church continues to grow and the gospel advances. That's what we saw last week. Yeah, tonight we really continue that in yeah. some ways um, with the, the continuation of Paul and Barnabas's first missionary journey. We're going to get to see it come to a close um, with with a couple different stops tonight. So. Um, as we read this, follow the story. This is not just a broken up passage that we've chosen tonight, but it's the continuation of the story, as Kirk said, of what God's doing by His Spirit um, through the acts of the, the apostles to um, to establish the, the church and the spread of the gospel. So we continue that story tonight. <clears throat> We're going to read all of chapter 14. So, you know, we should have maybe said this last week, but we've through the study of Acts, we're, we're taking off big hunks. So you got to really trek, you got to pay attention, and you got to um, make notes as we go, work through, think through, see through the structure of this as we go to not get lost in the fact that we're reading the whole chapter of Bible tonight in one sitting. So would it help you think to kind of give the structure that yeah, we developed so. from the beginning? This yeah. would be really helpful. If you take notes, <coughs> right, write, write this down. This is going to help us to understand the sections within this passage that are going to help us yeah. later develop and understand more clearly this may not be. Yeah, yeah, so if you've been trekking, you know, we talk about structure a lot. That This is the, uh, how the how the passage flows, The uh, maybe some, some breaks that we notice to, to basically set forth a uh, kind of a flow of the text. How do we find those? Let's maybe review that for, for quickly for those, especially tonight. Tonight's going to be a pretty easy one. So structure something that's new to you or it's something that you're revisiting for the first time in some long uh-huh. time. It's going to be helpful. Yeah, so when I think about things that come to mind are, are changes. Changes in scene, scene, scene change, people change. Um, if, if there's a uh, kind of a call response or if there's a... Um, an exhortation, a warning. I mean, there's, there's. I think about changes in the in the flow, right. changes in the text. Where do we see these breaks? Well, there natural, natural breaks. breaks. Yeah, natural breaks. More so than even uh, maybe headings that we often find in our text, right? We know we might read through the first like 13 verses, and then we get this new heading, right? Well, sometimes the editors really help us with those things, but at other times. It's not really a natural break within the text, and so we would do better to, to go on and to look at it at a bigger piece, right? Okay. And, and the point of that is this, is that once we divide it up, right, or I think you sort of divide, but, but, but see these sections, it helps us understand the flow of the author, so then we understand what he's saying to come up with the point at the heart of the passage, yeah. so that we can get application right and, and, uh, and right understanding. So... So tonight, if you look at verse, look at chapter fourteen, um, we're going to see the, the, in the first around the first seven verses, Paul and Barnabas at Iconium. Now that's what the past, that's the break in my Bible. That's what it says. But we're going to see um, them continue to proclaim the word, to experience persecution, and then in, in verse eight, the the scene changes. Um, they're now at Lystra. That's the very beginning of verse eight. Now at Lystra, so there's been a. There's been a scene change in, in, in place. They're at a different place now. So something's different is, is going on. Maybe different people involved. So there's a, a bit of a break here. And really, what goes on there in, in Lystra flows down really through verse 23. Um, what, what the apostles do, what the people do, kind of all that's going on there. And then there's this last section um, in verses 24 down through 28. Um, when the scene changes again, Paul and Barnabas go back to Antioch, right? They, they go back home. 
to the home church, sort of, and we see we'll see the response there. So those are kind of the three sections that you don't have to go to a commentary to figure out. You don't even have to open up your study Bible to figure it out. But just through a natural reading of the text, we're going to see these breaks. I think they'll help us to understand chapter fourteen a little bit better. Yeah. All right. I read last week, man. You read this week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. All right. Hey, let's look at uh, chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that there was a great number of both Jews and Greeks uh, believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, Um, cities of Lyconia and to the surrounding country and there they continued to preach the gospel now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet he was crippled from birth and had never walked, he listened to Paul speaking and Paul looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well said in a loud voice stand upright on your feet And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they they lifted up their voices, saying, In Lycanian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, and wanted to offer sacrifices with the crowds. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news, that you should turn from these vain things to a living God, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifices to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. On the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, strengthened, uh, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them, to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. 
Then they passed through Pisidia and to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Attilia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for um, the, great, the great truths we see here, the great encouragement that we see tonight, and the, uh, the great uh, call to persevere with in this, this work of the gospel that you've called us to. So as we study your word now, Lord, I pray that you would shape us and change us, give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Make us what we are not for your glory. Pray. Amen. Amen. So, as Kurt was reading it, I hope you follow along a little bit of the structure that we laid out that, um, again, the, the geographical regions that they travel at night show us a bit about uh, where they are and what's going on in these places. So uh, what we want to do now is, is just make some observations about this text. Um, now that we've seen what it says, we want to we understand, um, uh, begin to, to, to wrestle with what does it mean. And, and, and to do that, we need to uh, go a little deeper into what's it saying um, and make some observations. So let's do just that. Yes. One thing that, one thing that really sticks out to me at the beginning uh, to see the beginning and the end of what's going on at Iconium and in Lystra is the evidence that where the work of the gospel is, is that there is also a counterwork through um, through the evil one to combat the gospel. Um, look at verse 2. You, you see you've got unbelievers that, that immediately come up to, um, to meet the work of Paul and Barnabas, and it says in verse 2 that they came up and poisoned their minds... <laughs> against the brothers. Then you go to verse 19, a different setting, a different place, and you see the same thing. That the Jews came up from Antioch and Iconium and are doing what? They're persuading the crowds otherwise. So to, 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 to lay the foundation for what we're going to see tonight is this reality is that there are, there are battles going on as we fight the battle um, uh, that, that, uh, of the kingdom, right? Yeah. Of, of the Lord. That there are um, there are battles going on beyond flesh and blood. Yeah, this is, like we said in the beginning, a continuation of what we saw last week, right? In which we kind of concluded our time by saying this, that as we live as citizens of God's kingdom, which is in um, constant conflict with the kingdom of this world, right? The kingdom of darkness, right? That there is a, uh, a response to the proclamation of righteous words Right, that is oftentimes that most you know described as, as evil, right, and uh, oppressive and confusing. We we see in the very beginning that there from the apostles there is this powerful, authoritative speaking. A crowd gathers, and then as re- in a response to that, right, we see the work of righteousness. We see um, interest and contemplation and consideration, and then we see. This attempt to, uh, from from the, the dark side, if you will, right, to begin to persuade against, and so there's kingdoms in conflict, right? Um, and I think that that's a, a powerful thing to realize, especially in light of what we saw last week and where we're going tonight. Yeah, we're the end of verse one is what that both Jews and Greeks believe. So we're seeing that God is promising to he's 
he's, he's keeping his promises and what he's promised to do through the power of the gospel to, to redeem both Jews and Greeks, he is being faithful to do yes. through the work of the apostles. And immediately, again, we see that it's met with, with conflict, it's met with persecution. Yeah, he has promised and he is delivering, right? Yeah, so like he has promised and now we're seeing it fulfilled. And, and in the midst of that, there is this response. <coughs> and so the tone quickly becomes a bit, a, a bit tentious in that we see God doing what he's promised to do and being faithful, but immediately, time after time, the apostles, and these guys who, I think we said this, I said, they're just trying to be faithful. I mean, yeah. They're trying to, to obey and to live in a way that is having huge impact for the Lord, and they're immediately, immediately, immediately hit um, constantly with, with, with this conflict to, to their work. And this is the first time in a while in this book that we see an elevation of conflict, that the conflict as we continue through passage only gets worse, right? To the point of Paul's left for dead. Which certainly informs, to a greater degree, our understanding of the supernatural response that we see at the end of this passage. And, okay, so let's, let's go to verse 3. So, they preach, the Lord's faithful to say, uh, persecution comes, and, and uh, uh, there's this kind of, in verse 2, this coup that rises up against him. Um, the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. Um, but verse 3, we see the immediate response to that by way of Paul and Barnabas. That they do what? That they continue, they remain for a long time, for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, um, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. And we're going to see some of those signs and wonders that accompany this, this, this work of the word. But, man, is it not already from the get-go so refreshing to see that God is faithful to them even amidst the persecution, that God is continuing to deliver and, um, and, bore, and bearing witness to the word of His grace yeah. uh, through, through, through their ministry despite the conflict that they're experiencing? Verse 4, But the people of the city were divided, some Jews, uh, some side with the Jews, some with the apostles, and... Um, it, it, it becomes violent, right? That they try to uh, they try to they try to stone them, and then and then Paul and them get out of town, right? They 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 flee because of um, kind of the, the the danger that they're in. So we need it. There's I think there's some practical lessons for even even gospel perseverance here that 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 you're not stupid, right? That that they eventually do leave for the sake of their safety. Know, to continue this work, um, but they but they persevere with with courage. They they, they persevere um, with a, a continued reliance on on His grace. Verse three. I think I think the word grace in verse three sticks out like a light shining in the darkness of amidst all that's going on. What's their message? The word of His grace. Yeah. That's, that's a powerful picture yeah. of, of, of the continuation of their work. Even the the and it's refreshing to see the apostles' willingness to move on with this awareness that, that the gospel has been preached, that hearts have been transformed, and now, like, even if they leave, there is a people and there is a presence and there is a witness that remains in the city to where they're not they're not leaving it and just going, Well, you know, like, good luck guys, but now the the, the, the people, the body, the saints there in this region are to continue to work. I mean, that's the implication of what we see, is they leave, 
like, hey, one monkey doesn't stop no show, right? Like, it continues, right? It continues on. And I think in verse 7, when we kind of finish up here in Iconium, you know, the continued proclamation of the gospel is forth. The seeds, the, the work that's, that's been done um, continues. So they go to stop number two immediately. Um, there's, there's, there's no stoppage here, I think, um, reminding us of, again, the perseverance that we're seeing. The perseverance through, you know, uh, through this work causes them to, to continue to do the work. So we've seen proclamation, we've seen persecution. That doesn't send them back to Antioch you know, holding their wounds, but rather they continue to advance the gospel in this city named Lystra, or Lystra, however you want to say it. Um, when we were reading about this, it's interesting. We, we uh, Iconium is a, a bit of a more uh, civil area, <laughs> kind of a, um, uh, a little bit more developed, if you will. We get to Lystra, and it's kind of like, it's kind of the sticks. <laughs> kind of, uh, not a lot of education, probably, um, as we'll see here in a second, and maybe how these guys uh, how these guys react to the word of Paul and Barnabas. Um, but immediately when they get to, to Lystra, verse 8, they find this man who is crippled from birth and had, had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and listen to what verse 9 says. Paul looked intently at him, and seeing that he had, had faith, to be made well, said with a loud voice, Stand up on your feet. He sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up, lifted up their voices and, and began to deflect the wrong praise towards them. But let's talk for a second about what's going on here with Paul and this healing account. Start us off. Okay. <laughs> um, I think that, that when, when, when we see, uh, again, again, so the, the theme continues of Continued proclamation of the gospel um, amidst the persecution they have faced in Iconium. Continued boots on the ground. We're going, we're going, we're going. And immediately when you get to Lystra, um, they're confronted with this guy who, who has a physical uh, ailment, who can't use his, his feet, his legs. Um, and Paul notices the faith in the man. Um, and as, a, as an accompaniment of how God is using the apostles through the advancement of the word here, um, the, the Spirit's power uh, uh, uses Paul, allows Paul to to, uh, uh, to to call this man to 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 heal to heal him to where he stands up, and um, it obviously causes a ruckus. But the point is, is that man has faith, right? The point here is not uh, again the, the 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 wrong circumstance that we may be. Easy to play with in a passage like this, persecution, or even the fact of, of, of this guy's physical infirmity. But the point is, is, is the faith and the healing that comes as as evidence of power of God. Yeah. So when we, I think when we come to an awareness of our condition, right, apart from a redeeming work of grace in our lives and in our hearts, when we understand our dead, rebellious nature, right. Um, it helps us to, to better understand what a powerful um, gift faith indeed is as we see it uh, take place within this, this passage, right? That we are, as we see it playing out physically, we're getting a, a, a greater spiritual picture of what God does um, in, the, in, in a heart to bring about regeneration and 
um, and, and faith and newness of life, right? There's really two aspects. This is what you and I talked about the other day when we looked at this passage, right? You, you have a, there is a sense in which when we see miracles take place like this within Scripture, we see a reversal of sin's effects, right? Of the consequences of um, Adam and Eve's rebellion in Genesis chapter 3. Why do we see things like this? Why do we see physical brokenness? And why do we see in, infirmity as we do, right? Well, because it's a, it's a result of our existence in a fallen world, right? And so when we see miracles like this taking place, um, you, we get a picture of what God is ultimately accomplishing as there is this grand recreation, right, in which all of sin's effects are done away with. Here, obviously, this man's condition um, is a result of the fallenness of this world, right? Um, and so we see that being reversed here, right? If only for a moment, because we know that the wages of sin, Scripture tells us, is death. And so while he is healed here, we know that death waits, right? Um, and so it's, it's just a shadow. It's just a picture of what God is to do in the new heaven and the new earth as all of sin's consequences and effects are erased, as... as um, Sally Lloyd-Jones says, or Tim Keller, I can't remember which one says it, right? That all sad things are ultimately made untrue. Um, and this is certainly something that is, uh, it's, it's sad, right? Uh, his condition uh, prior to um, this work of grace um, is, is a sad condition, right? Um, and so to see that undone is powerful. But the bigger picture, like you're saying, is, um, is, what, is what faith does spiritually, Right? How it makes a, um, a broken, hostile relationship whole again. And that be, that's our relationship with, um, with God and our relationship with, with people. Does that make sense? <clears throat> you know, powerful picture of, of how God uses uh, the miraculous here in Acts to point to the power of Him and His Word and uh, to, to confirm what He's doing. And as you're saying, to give us an illustration of what he's ultimately doing by feeling, by, by uh, healing and fixing our, our greatest our greatest need, which is never physically, but yeah, spiritually. Absolutely. And then, then notice what happens. Man, they immediately begin to uh, almost worship these guys, right? Uh, when they when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying, um, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. They called Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes and uh, because he was the chief speaker. Um, the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance of the city, they bring sacrifices, and they begin to lay it out for these guys who are apparently um, gods. But again, as we think about the, the responses that Paul and Barnabas make um, through this account, verse 14, when they saw, uh, when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, what does it say they do? Man, they, they tore their garments. They go into this this. Uh, the scene of mourning uh, because of the idolatry um, that these men are no doubt displaying. Uh, verse 15, men, why are you doing these things? Um, we're, just, we're just men, right? We're men. Um, uh, verse 15, uh, of like nature with you. Um, but here's the difference. We bring you good news uh, that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all's with all that is within them. So in the midst of them deflecting the praise, they also take a time to, to continue to persevere, but, but to hear to persevere in evangelism. 
and not, I think, I think that there's a lesson to be learned here in, in what they say and why they say it. Man, they, they have a, um, a, a flexible, uh, uh, what's the word? They've got a, a, a flexible evangelism tool here, right? There's not just one way that they share the gospel, but they realize that, look, man, there's, a, there's an opportunity to, um, to, to, to share the gospel and to do evangelism um, in light of this wrong worship that's taking place by, by doing what? By tapping into kind of their pagan nature and to, you know, even before they preach Christ, to, to begin to reason with these guys about creation and, and, and things that they would have um, maybe, maybe connected with at, at the beginning of the thing. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's a lesson in that they continue to be faithful in the work that they're doing, to share the gospel, to do evangelism. Um, but they're also, you know, they're also they're also flexible in how they reach these guys and how they turn the conversation. Look at verse 16. In past generations, he allowed uh, all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons. They're all like, okay, that, that's right. We're, we're there with that. Um, verse 18, even with these words, they scarcely restricted the people from offering sacrifice to them. So they don't get it yet, right? Yeah. There's this, um, again, in the face of the ministry, there's here unbelief. Yeah. And um, now we're going to turn yeah, they, they highlight God's common grace, right? right? That's extended to, to all people, and that they have enjoyed these good things. Um, you know, rains and fruitful seasons, uh, satisfying your hearts with good food and gladness, right? Like we're explaining to you like all the goodness that you've seen and experienced, and where that where that comes from. And there's this outright rejection. So here's so let's, let's do a little review. Um, here's what we're seeing so far: that these guys continue to proclaim the gospel. It's a gospel that centers on the grace of God, um, and, and and that's met with belief and unbelief amidst persecution. It does not stop these guys, but if anything, it seems to create this perseverance that we're talking about that they cling to and, and move forward with. That is is nothing shy of, of amazing and, and should be. Out inspiring to mm-hmm. us as we look at this. And now it gets really bad. Yeah. So how is everybody feeling? <laughs> it's about to get hit. Like, we're about to go up another level, right? So we see some good things, some discouraging <laughs> things. Um, yeah. Look at verse 19. Um, but Jews came from Antioch. Great. <laughs> and Iconium. And we know what they're like. Um, and listen to this. Listen to this. They stoned Paul. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. Now, if you've read the book of Acts or you've heard anything about the life of Paul before, um, everybody loves to talk about how, how, how bad Paul had it and all that happened to him. But do not read verse 19 and, and miss that. That this guy, again, who if we were to see, maybe we're saying, this guy's trying to be faithful, he's trying to obey the Lord, he's, he's taking risks to advance the gospel like never before. Here again, we see that he is almost, he, he's literally left for dead. Yeah. He's left for dead. Uh, a be- Paul is a beautiful picture of what obedience to the word of God, of what the word of God looks like lived out through a regenerate heart, right? Through through this transformation, right, that takes place. 
like in us, right? And 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 then I think we're we're going to this idea of all right, in light of these truths, like the the faithfulness of Paul, right? Um, how how is our theology of suffering informed by what we see here? Because there's a camp that would say that if you're experiencing suffering, if you're experiencing difficulty, if you're experiencing trial, that it is a result of disobedience and sin in your life. And your lack of faith. Yeah. And that is not what we see here in Acts chapter 14. Quite the opposite. No. We talk a lot about um, the, the folly and the heresy of false gospels, and specifically the, the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. Um, but... Man, if, if that if that is at all if that at all has the the, uh, the that that way of thinking is at all a flirtation for you, a quick reading of the Book of Acts reminds you of the folly of such a such a doctrine. Just the opposite. That God seems to work through the persecution of people. He doesn't keep it. He doesn't keep it from it, but He works through it. Um, and we're going to continue to see this. And what we see is that God's people, like in, in, in the New Testament, right, are totally cool with that. Right? Like, we're not going to see this, like, hands thrown up in the air, like, confusion, complaining, or out. Like, we just don't see it. Right? And so God, God's people are okay with this. Right? And not in the sense that they are looking forward to it or, you know, like, laughing it off. But it doesn't, it doesn't deter them. Right. It doesn't deter them. But, and then we see this now. Look at verse 20. But when the disciples gathered about him, um, he rose. He wasn't well, dead after all. No, he rose. And, 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 and what does he do? <laughs> he, he, he immediately enters the city. And on the next day, he went on um, with Barnabas to the next. I mean, onward we go. The, the, the mission continues. Uh, verse 21, they preached the gospel to that city and it made many disciples. They returned to Lystra, Iconium, and to Antioch, um, strengthening the souls of the, of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. So we see that Paul, again, is not, uh, is not it doesn't seem to be deterred, it's not sent back home, it's not closed off, it's not mad at the world, it's not now uh, unengaging anybody but rather just the opposite, that he perseveres now through physical affliction out of his love for Christ and the gospel. You go, well, I don't know if you see that. What else is it? I mean, like, what else, right? There is a commitment and a passion to Christ and what he's doing in the world through his gospel that nothing, is, that nothing stops Paul and Barnabas. Now we've seen, we've seen physical trials are not enough. Um, but rather, he continues and makes disciples and strengthens, verse 22, and encourages the souls of those disciples to say, look, here's what's going on, but I want you to somehow be encouraged and strengthened through this, right? So, so young guys, right, young people looking, uh, new disciples, they're like, what in the world? And Paul's using it as a moment, as an opportunity, an opportunity to encourage and to teach, to teach really what it looks like to follow Christ. And he says this, that, Man, by, by, by many tribulations must we enter the kingdom. That's the message of Jesus. This is what Jesus said um, that we see lived out before these guys. Powerful, powerful stuff. Man, I'll be honest. Like, like chapter 14 is not blowing us away with any, like, I mean, it's just simple proclamation of the gospel, 
persevere through suffering and, and, and the right results to that. It's so so encouraging. So encouraging. Um, and in the midst of this, verse 23, they got time to build the local church and make sure that the polity's right and we got the right leaders. And I mean, like, again, like, not making light of this, but just the perspective that these guys keep and um, and their commitment to the local church. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, it's powerful. So then we enter this last section, right? This last section where they go back to Antioch. Um, verse 24 and 25 uh, show us that as they continue to uh, to, to move forward in the work of the gospel, that they come back to Antioch, verse 6. Now, notice what happens when they get there, okay? Now, this is the sending church, right? I and mean, we said back in, in 13 that Antioch was a 12, 13, that Antioch is this just, like, pastoral dream team of guys, and, and they, send, they send two of them off. Um, and now they, they've come back off this first missionary journey to Antioch, Notice what they do in verse 26. They go back to Antioch where they've been committed um, to the grace of the God. They've been, to, to God they've been sent um, for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived, here's the welcome part. Here's, here's first night back at home. Here's what we're going to do. It says they gathered the church together and declared all that God had done and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles, and they remained no little time over the disciples. <coughs> Gosh, man, what an unreal picture of how proclamation of the gospel, the work of the gospel, met with persecution, but now we see that there's this, there's this praise that happens, right? There's this celebration um, as to what God has done. Not what God has done to them, right? They don't come complaining. They don't come, like, showing the stuff. I mean, they, they come praising the Lord for his faithfulness. How do you see that? Well, that's what it says, man, that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. Can you guys believe the faithfulness of God and what he's showing us yeah. each day? What he's showing us out there. Can you believe that this is working? I mean, like, the power that we're seeing, that is the theme of their they're coming home. Right? They, have the, they have the right emphasis. They have the right praise. They have the right perspective. Um, it's all there. It's all there. Yeah. And another just beautiful picture of the open door that God makes by way of faith. We saw last week in chapter 13, the beginning and the end, that God is from the beginning of creation, that he is working to bring a people together to himself for him to, 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 to know them and to show them his glory. Um, we fast forward to where we are here in Acts, that that is the church, um, and he continues to do what he began in the eternity past, by continuing to do what? Open up the doors of faith. Yeah, the, there is in so verse 27 this clear realization as a part, from all of those that are present, right, that faith in Christ comes as a result of God's gracious initiative, right? It's all about what God is doing, right? Um, and that's and that's incredible, right? It's incredible. It's, it's the only thing that will keep you doing what they're doing. Absolutely. If you, if you do not believe that God's really, you know, really faithful to save, if God's really going to do this work, I'll tell you what you won't do. Continue. Is you won't continue <laughs> after you get 
good stuff. Yeah. She won't continue after you get a run on time. Yeah. And God's glorious grace, seeing in the constant faithfulness of the Lord to, to, to save his people, is the is 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 drive to continue and persevere in this work. And we see this, we see shadows of this and pictures of this in other areas of life, right? You hear all the time, like I don't know, I think sports fans, I know there's a handful of you guys in here that are big sports fans, right? How when there is this team that has this belief, right, that like we will win no matter what. I'm a huge soccer fan and I feel like Atlanta United has been right there like all season, all my ATL United fans. What up, right? It's it's this it's this feeling that hey, no matter what, like we're in it, like we we're gonna we're gonna come through, right? So we see pictures of that, like even in this world, right? Even in this life, here we're seeing it fight down on, on a cosmic scale, right? This belief that like no matter what happens, like we win, right? Like no matter what happens, like God's in control. He is ruling sovereignly. And providentially over all of creation, he holds the worlds in his hand, and he does as he pleases. And that transforms and enables this type of response. Because that's the question. Like, I wrote this question down. Like, where, this commitment that we see, where does this commitment come from? Where does this commitment to mission come from, right? Well, it comes from the Spirit. Like, it's, it's a supernatural work within the people of God that gives way to this response that is breathtaking, right? And it's amazing, and it's God-glorifying, and it's edifying. That's what we see, like, it's edifying here. Like, the body is edified here in light of the work of the Lord. So we've walked through the passage, and we've seen that, that as we begin to now think about, okay, the main idea, the point, which we've kind of already talked through a little bit, I think, um, and how we respond, um, God continues to, to initiate His grace and show His grace through the proclamation of the gospel. Um, that persecution is not the main idea here. That it is, it is yeah, just an opportunity to persevere in this work of the gospel um, in, a, in a world that is very hostile towards yeah. the Lord and to His messengers. Um, yeah, it's 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 not even easy if you think about it. Like, let's take a step back and let's go, man. Before we did like the commitment of the apostles to this work, we have to get the commitment of God to this work, right? It's God's commitment that like informs the apostles' commitment, right? Like, if He's not committed, man, there's no way or reason for us to be committed, right? Because like we can't do it, and so it's the commitment of God to this to this grand redemptive plan and story that continues to unfold for us on the pages of scripture and here in 2017 that informs our response like we can be committed because he is committed right and, 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 and no other reason no other reason no other reason if that's not true then this is a waste of time you know what Carl Henry said he said that a half-hearted reliability and confidence in God and his word create just that a half-hearted uh, effort in, in evangelism and discipleship in the nation. So it's just you have to see one before you see the other. Yeah. Commitment of God to the purposes of God creates a commitment of God by the people of God to God and those purposes. Too. Gosh! So, Woo! Man, that's so sweet. It is. That's it's legit. Sweet. Yeah. And, and again, like, I, I know we're emphasizing this. We talk about this a lot. But like, your your theology drives your practice, and if you don't get if you don't get the faithfulness of God to do this work in the nations, 
then you'll never go to the nations. Yeah, and if your theology doesn't drive a practice that reflects this type of life, then get a new theology. Yeah, and, and to say it another way too, that if your theology believes all that about God and you're not going to the nations, then you don't believe that. Yeah, that's true. We can say that a few more ways. <laughs> Do it again, Andrew. Say it again, man. <laughs> um, and then again, man, in the, in, the, in the end here, to see the church's response and praise and worship to happen. Um, so, how do we respond? What do we do? Why, why is this in Acts chapter 14? What's Luke want his readers to know? What does God want his people to know from Acts chapter 14? What do you think? That's the first question, right? We want to, we want to say, why, why is this here? Okay? As we land this plane, we get ready to walk out this door tonight and, and, and leave this place, having encountered God's Word tonight, then we have to say, what do we do with this? But to, to answer that question, we got to ask, why is it here? What, what's, what's, he want, what's he want his people to do with this? And what's that look like for us? Yeah. Well, we say all the time that it has to be, like whatever we talk about in terms of application has to begin with adoration. Right, for Christ, and so I think as we as we as we begin reflecting on what all that we see in this passage, like I'm driven back to um, first Christ's commitment to the redemption of a people, right? Like God's commitment to that work that then informs um, the, the Christian response to the difficulty that will undoubtedly be experienced in this life, right? Um, it begins with Christ. It begins to, with uh, what He has endured. Um, his commitment, right? Um, and and now the flushing out of that, right? Through difficulty, through trial, through persecution, um, come what may. And, and how the church is to be unified around um, this, this, the news of God's commitment to the advancement of the gospel and the continued growth of his kingdom. Absolutely. What would you add, Andrew? Uh, I, think, I, think I think that there's a the need for God's people to continue this work in spite of what will come um, to the praise of His glory. You know, all that we see here. Um, I think about, I thought about as we, were, as we were thinking, I thought about what Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy um, when he's challenging him um, to continue in the work, to continue in the ministry. And, and Timothy's about ready to go on out. You know, it's too challenging here in Ephesus. And Paul says, you however, you, however, have followed my teaching, <laughs> my conduct, my aim, my life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions, and my sufferings that happened to me in Antioch. Yes, Timothy, you saw that. You're about ready to give up. You, you saw what happened in Antioch and, 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 and that, that journey and what all. And, I, and at Antioch, Iconium, unless you guess, you, you saw trip one. <laughs> um, and listen to what he says. Which persecutions I endured. Timothy, I endured this, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. You go, well, man, that kind of sounds like a little wealth and health and prosperity. No, Paul says at the end of that letter that he's finally going to rescue him from everything, and it's going to be through death. But, man, to keep that perspective, because you guys... Me and us and we in this room are going to be challenged over the course of our lives to lose our mind, to lose our faith, to throw in the towel when things get hard. Maybe just about life, but especially 
ministry. And I think I think Acts chapter 14 calls us to continue this crucial word to continue through perseverance, holding on to this promise. As we said this tonight, that God is faithful to do this work. But as 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 we're reminded by Paul here, he's faithful to rescue us to the end as well. And at the end of this letter, he goes, Man, everybody's left me now. You know, Timothy, you're not even here. Not because you don't like me anymore, but just we're separate. I got nobody, but I know this. That the Lord is standing by. Yeah. And what 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 comfort and courage that He begins in us, He will bring to conclusion. Amen. So let's work to that end. Let's work to that end. There are many things that you do in your life. Um, as as the great quote goes, I mean, this life will soon be past, but only what's come to Christ will last. So. That's what Acts 14, 13 to all these chapters inform what we do for Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for your word. How it's taught us tonight, challenged us, and, and spoke to our hearts, I pray, Lord. God, give us uh, the eyes to see opportunities to obey you in light of this passage tonight, to live what we see in Acts 14 now in light of this passage tonight, God. Give us the grace to do just that. To, to walk with you along this, this road you've called us to. That um, you keep us strong and keep us in you and keep us clean to the promise, God, that you're faithful to say and that you will rescue us um, uh, in the end. In the end, because of the goodness of your grace, Lord. Um, so we pray that we will all leave here tonight, tomorrow, um, towards, towards obedience to this. Help us, uh, help us, we pray. Amen. Amen.